the B A Y C. I'm a bored ass baby. Welcome to Board Chili Podcast. This is Vera. I'm Jackie. 100 Hot Ones is the first series of Board Chili Podcast. We'll have 100 apes from all over the world share their ape stories, talking about their project and fun, or giving unique perspective on working in Web3. In this episode, we invited our brother Karma from Hong Kong. Lei Ho. Lei Ho. Hello, everyone. Thank you, Vera and Jackie, for having me today. Yeah, welcome, Karma. We're really excited to have you. So, to give some context, Karma is a founder of Eight DAO. Eight DAO is a Hong Kong-based DAO. It's a social investment DAO, and also part of the Board of Yacht Club. Also, a poker player. I would love for you to feel free to introduce yourself. Anything I missed? I'm sure I missed a lot of stuff. So, yeah, feel free to give us our intro. Hi, everyone. I'm、uh, Karma Pocket. That's my Twitter name, and I like people. Calling my referee name even in real life. Since I got into the referee rabbit hole, NFT rabbit hole, you know, I've been spend up most of my times working in the space, building, making friends. So that's what I've I've been doing in the a year and a half. Yeah, I'm founder of the ADAO. It's a referee community. Most of us are say、uh, VCs, crypto lawyers, NFT collectors, people work for crypto exchange, and we get together because what we want to learn more. Three space and then build something together. Most of us are based in Hong Kong and Singapore, but we do have some members from Shanghai, Beijing, Tokyo, Dubai, Bay Area, California, New York. Yeah, so it's been a fascinating journey so far, and we always happy to work with other communities and people in the space to learn from each other. Awesome, awesome. I think I met Karma at Clubhouse, right? I think we met before Abe and.、I'll- We didn't really talk as much after you know we all aped in, and we became best friends. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw Karma not too long ago. We went have a dinner together, and when he was in the states. So Karma, do you mind to share a little bit about your ape story? Yes, for sure. We were in the same crypto community together, but I think it's BYC. For us together to really like build a relationship, get to know each more other, spend more time. And I got into the、uh, crypto space in 2017, you know. And then so at least I got the experience, went through one crypto winter cycle. And then the first quarter of last year, 2021, you know, I really got fascinated by the whole NFT concept. I knew about NFT, but it wasn't really something caught my attention until like February last year. So I've been studying, learning, and then investing NFT and then join different communities until May. Okay, I remember that day on Clubhouse. I saw this room title saying that B A Y C sold out、uh, in something like 24 hours or something. I forgot. Yeah. So it was the first time I heard I saw the term like or eight. Okay, so there was this new project sold out. Back then there wasn't that many like. New projects like we see today, but there are still you know different projects.、Okay, so for me, okay, that's another project. Congress got sold out, and then I didn't really start to like study about this project until maybe in June. That's about one month after the launch, and then I would just like on Clubhouse, you know, trying to listen to different people's sharing. So both the English and the Chinese rooms communities days. Actually, spend a lot more time talking about this project. I think the price was about one, a little bit above one ETH. 
So that's where I got my first ape. And then very soon we got this doggo, the BAKC drop. And then everybody was like super excited. And then that's the, the time I got my second ape. Yeah. And then I just uh, couldn't stop. And here we are today. Couldn't stop at a... Yeah. And, and, I, and then I, I bought a little, a few more apes. So there was, no, again, lucky. A lot of people ask, hey, how do you like succeed or do well? So uh, in NFT, I think luck, luck play um, a huge factor. Yeah. So I was fortunate to got a couple of BYC uh, below, the four plus below 10 ETH. And then also, I think what I gain is not just financially, but also being able to, like, for example, make friends with you guys and meet some other people from different parts of the world. I think this really, all this relationship really broadened my mind or my views on, on NFT. And, and yeah, so that's my journey so far. Yeah. So since you got into it community, Sounds like you made a lot of friends around the world, different conferences, and you also organize a ape community in Hong Kong. How is the ape community in Hong Kong? How did it start? How has it grown? Where do you see it going and kind of what's your role in it? Yeah. So June 2021, that's my first time hosting a in real life NFT meetup. There are about 20 people joined. So we did that six, uh, on a monthly basis. That was the first time I introduced uh, Boya Club to the people who came. I remember that time the flow price was about three ETH. And then uh, the ETH price is probably something around 2000, something like that. So that's about $6,000. For people who are new to NFT space, that's not cheap, you know, but I, you know, just want to share. I'm not trying to pump, I just say, hey, I think it's a good project. It's a huge potential. And, and looking back, a lot of people, they say, hey, they regret didn't follow, didn't just say, just buy one. Um, when it was like three years, but there are, you know, in the crypto space, just so many stories like this, right? And then, yeah, so we did a lot of like, um, on a monthly basis, some meetup. It's not just about Boy Yacht Club, but also we talk about different projects. And then there was one, uh, Star, Star Art Galleries in Hong Kong. It was the first, one of the very first NFT galleries in the world. So in the September, they want to host a workshop about Boy Yacht Club. Because that time, you know, Steph Curry already bought his, his ape and then the Christie auction also was in uh, news already. So, so it's actually a good idea for them to like have a topic about this. Yeah. And then I got a lot of support from the ape community. I uh, borrow a lot of apes from other holders. We have Mega, Go Apes, Bluebeam. So it was a great exhibition. We have had more, more than 50 apes. A lot of them are pretty super rare. So three sections about each session is about two hours. I, you know, tell the whole story about NFT, about the BYC, where, how it, how it starts, you know, the airdrop of the AKC and then the, the concept of roadmap, membership, community. So it was a great idea to introduce this project or NFT as a whole to the general public. And not just like people who don't know about NFT, but also some BYC holders that they join sometimes because they didn't getting from the from beginning so they want to listen more about other people's stories and, and views on this and yeah and there was actually a, a community called elite ape club in hong kong they they have like more than i don't know the exact number 50 apes holders so we on one hand we have like a, a bigger ape communities but we also have like quite different smaller ape communities you know here in hong kong yeah 
That's that's beautiful. That's super cool how you try to you do a gallery and you explain to public people to learn more about NFTs. I'm curious when you show them, you know, these 50 apes and they come in and they hear you talk, what's their reaction? They're like, oh, you know, what is this guy talking about? Or do they, are they like really curious? Yeah, what's the reaction like to the public? Maybe their first time seeing NFTs and seeing a bunch of apes. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's the reaction I got from some people. But I try to explain the whole concept. It's not just the visual part of the NFT. It's the utility, the community, you know, it's a, a very innovative idea of giving the IP to the holders. And then it's also represent a digital ownership on the blockchain. It, these are things that are a totally new concept. The style of it is subjective, but the value really comes from the whole utilities and the roadmap and the community, not just how it looks. And I think it's going to take time for people to understand and accept. From the past nine months, I would say since Steph Curry bought his ape, a lot of people that, you know, in, get more interest about this idea, at least. And then I saw people trying to find their first NFT, maybe not for it because that's quite pricey for a lot of like beginners. But it's always good to start from somewhere. But for those who have, you know, enough bankroll, they might just buy their first ape when the price drop a little bit. They just like wait and then wait for the right timing because I sometimes I get message from people that want to get their first ape. Hey, is it a good time to buy? You know, yeah. So so we do see there are some people that want to get ape as their first NFT. Yeah. So I think you mentioned a little bit about the Christie's and we know a few very interesting influencers, the Asian influencers in this ape community that we know Machi Big Bro was one of the earlier adopters and send it to a lot of celebrity in Taiwan, kind of branding, introducing this to the Taiwanese celebrity world. Meanwhile, there is another celebrity that aren't as known in the community as, you know, Machi Big Bro. So Shang, Shang Yu is a Chinese celebrity. He's an actor. He got ape really early and Christie's ape was actually one of his apes. And, you know, I think another Hong Kong guy's named Disco. In this history of ape story within the Asia community, we see a lot of big roles, right? So how do you guys see that part of engagement in Hong Kong as the Christie's and the celebrities getting in? Yeah, it's a great question. Christie happened in around September last year. So it was a big news for the whole NFT space. I still remember not just the for a community, but also other NFT projects, avatar, avatar projects, they changed to like black suits to celebrate that event because the highlight of that auction are for, for suits, apes, you know, really rare apes. Yeah, so it's, it represents, I think, a time that the mainstream or the institutions, they recognize apes or NFT. So we saw the whole community was so united to celebrate that. Of course, you know, we have the Punks uh, auction earlier in like February. They did uh, very, uh, quite pretty well. But I would say the September Christie ones actually bring the whole thing to another level. And it just happened in Hong Kong, Christie, because Hong Kong has been a art collection, luxury collectibles hub in Asia. So they did it here, and then the owners, you know, are Asians, 
uh, of the apes and then uh, i would say it, it went pretty well that's an example of showing that the nowadays nft community is pretty global uh it's although the whole project and a lot of the project coming from the states but we see the the people the supporters the fans the community members can be like from anywhere because basically it's on chain anyone has a wallet or enough if you can just like join and be part of the project so i think hong kong that time did play a very significant role you know help um the boy from one stage to moving to another stage because in, in september and it actually was a huge pump the price it went from i don't know something like seven ETH or to something like 40 or 50 ETH at one point and so that's a very challenging uh price uh level for any NFT projects to go from below 10 ETH to around 50 ETH uh, floor price. Yeah, so Boy Ape did that. But unfortunately, from my observation, the auction house role, starting from the fourth quarter of last year, kind of like less and less important. They, they tried to do more options. For example, there was a CryptoPunks auctions in New York, but they end up withdrawing that. So that didn't happen, I guess, probably for various, for various factors, but still, September 2021, the Christie Auctions in Hong Kong was a good memory and a very important milestone for the for Yakra project as well. Yeah, it's also great marketing because it's actually one of the, I don't know if it's the first time, but for digital art to get into Christie's, well, Punk might be another one, but I know on the earlier Hong Kongese influencers or celebrities, they are the ones that got into punks before, like Shang Yu, the, chi- the Chinese celebrity. They were very big punk holder. And there's another one, I think it's Disco.eth. They're all, also all punk holders. So it's very easy for them to, you know, transit into the, the ape community since they were already in the punk. Yeah, I agree. The celebrities definitely play a huge role, you know, helping the branding of Boy Yacht Club to be known by the public. For example, like Sean, I, I don't know the exact number, but maybe he has something like 20 million followers or, or something like that on, on Instagram. We can double check with number, but no matter what, that's a big number. So when he changed his profile picture from Punk to Ape, I remember that was in the summer last year. So it's a basically if you pay a person like that to do an advertisement you know, on Instagram, that's a lot of money. But that was free at all so it's actually beneficial for the whole brand to be known by his fans and other people who have no idea what BYC is you know so these are the power of community especially the celebrities not just the the Asian celebrities but also you know we, we saw a lot of American celebrities actually change the profile pic and all this if you pay them to do that that's uh, that's a, a huge amount of money but it was all free so yeah, we also we all benefit from all these celebrities supporting the Boya Club project. Yeah, yeah, and it's awesome that everything just happened very organic. That Yuga didn't pay any of the celebrities to do that. Yuga did not pay Machi to send any celebrity apes as a gift. So with this organic, it means something, right? Yeah, definitely. I think that's also something I like most about the web or the NFT space. It's about the ownership of, of the people of the community because we all have a stake in this project. So we, we have same goal. We want the project to do well. 
let more people know. If the price go up, that's great. If it doesn't, you know, we still want to build together because we are kind of part of the family. So this kind of sense of shared ownership is something that different from how we see IP or digital ownership in the past. So yeah, I, I agree. I like the term organic because when I talk about Web3 community and, and DAO, I really like the concept of people organic, not coming together. They build, share because like they love it, because they want to be there, not just for some like short-term financial incentive. Yeah, that's beautiful. I want to ask you more about 8DAO. Can you kind of tell us how you started it as the founder? You know, how long has it been? How much has it grown? Yeah, so in the second quarter, 2021, I started an NFT community here in Hong Kong. So it was pretty simple for me. I just want to let people know about NFT. I, I truly believe it's going to be the next big thing. When you truly believe on something, and you tell other people, it's pretty easy because you don't need to think because you, you just believe on, you know, tell people what you believe. So we have a, like an online community. We do monthly uh, a meetup. And then the second part of last year, starting from October, I spent more time learning about DAOs. I really like the concept. It's, it's really fascinating. So I spend, I less time on NFT and more time on the study of DAO. And then they have the idea of like creating a DAO. So some of some people actually from the NFT community I created earlier last year. But when I created the NFT community with, it wasn't really about trying to build a model or business on that. It was purely about sharing. So, and then, hey, when there was this DAO concept structure, I think it's brilliant. I know it's gonna uh, challenging. It's, it's gonna be experimental. But I'm willing to spend my time devote on, on this project. So when we uh, we launched, officially launched in the April, first of April. So it has about four months up and running. But we did have spent about three to four months prepare all the setups. So right now we have about 130 members. We do it in sort of quality over quantity sort of uh, approach. So everyone want to join ADAO, they need to go to our website, fill a form, and then we have a group of people that vote on that so that the people can join, you know, and then, you know, be part of the community. The reason for when people talk about DAO, the first impression they say, hey, the bigger it is, the better it is. But we saw a lot of like issues and, and some chaotic, you know, situation when the, the DAO is not ready, but it's already too big. So I don't want to be getting into that kind of like situation. So that's why we rather slow a little bit slow and then make sure the people in the community, we share the same philosophy and value. But we, on one hand, we started as a social DAO. So meaning that people interested in NFT, Web3 and DAO can come here, share, make friends together. But in this process, we are also kind of exploring, you know, what are the things we really want to focus on doing. One thing we design is investment. So we actually launched an NFT fund, our DAO. So we have an investment club and the funding is from our DAO members. So we, it's up and running for about a little bit, around two months. And unfortunately, when we start, it's kind of like we're getting into the bear market for crypto and NFT. But I think the whole concept is about whether the concept of community venture, something I really 
want to like build it's a, the people in the community to pull the fund, funding together do something they have edge they have talents to actually manage the fund and then so th that's why we started with nft fund because we have a, some really good nft collector investors in our uh, they have really strong track record and some other members want to actually be part of it, benefit from it. So that's something we, we try. Again, it's experimental. And that, that's the thing about crypto and, and DAO, right? Because we are, especially for DAO, we are so early, there's no playbook. We are all trying to figure out what our community want and how do we sort of develop things based on our community thing is going to work. Yeah. Yeah. DAOs are hard. <laughs> yeah, and it, uh, and it's so interesting well. because three of us are all engaging in DAOs. I actually had a mining pool or mining DAO I had before, and then Board Chile is we we didn't call it a DAO, but it's actually running as a DAO, right? And also we have a, like a pink DAO is gathering a group of pink apes, and we haven't decided what we want to do yet, but we're trying to figure out. So it's so interesting, like we have the community first and then kind of like finding the same interests and decide to do something together. But Jackie, is Bujidao that started like kind of a similar trend, having the community first and then decide what to do? We had a community with a few people and then the intention to always start the DAO, but we needed to build a community first. I think like Karma was saying, you don't want to start the DAO too soon until you're ready. There's so much preparation going into starting a DAO, like the tokenomics, the structure, the people, like you were saying, right? Quality over quantity. How do you define that quality? I mean, we can talk about DAOs all day. I, I just, <laughs> we can nerd out about DAOs all day. There's so many things, so many interesting, like you were saying, it's, it's such an experiment. There's so many things to learn. It's not easy, but it's super rewarding, right? So I think my first follow-up question for you, Karma, is what is the biggest challenge you faced in building the DAO, you know, leading up to launch and also after the launch? The challenge will be at the early stage will be to identify the people to be part of the team, the core contributors. So because every DAO needs a team to do a lot of uh, groundwork, build, administration, execution, discussion. How do you find first like-minded people? People have conviction about crypto, you know, this space. Because if you find those people just here for the hype, they, they will live after the hype is gone. And we know that the hype is, is going to go on you know, sometime. So, but building a DAO, I often call it as a marathon. So meaning that we are going to like do it together for long term. We're going to like, it's going to run. So we need to find our own pace, the, the rhythm. Okay. So not just make sure the team, you know, we are not like full gear for three months and then we feel tired, exhausted. And then we just stop building. That's not the right way, not right approach. So identify the people there with the same sort of the, the value commission. And then also with the right skill set, um, that's, that's also quite crucial because when building a DAO, there are just so many aspects from operation, marketing, community building, project development, so many content creation you can do, right? So you need people that can actually deliver those things yeah i was very fortunate to in the very early, early stage have a, a couple of my partner, partners and also we can call it uh, core contributors basically they are the community leaders to to work together 
assigned to have different roles with responsible for different parts of that development and do it together. And looking back, probably it's to do with, I like a person that likes sharing a lot from day one. And I wasn't really trying to like have a specific purpose. So I think this kind of maybe, I'm guessing the character really um, can let some people sort of believe what you believe. And then when you have an idea or an initiative, say, I want to start a DAO, they were sort of interested. And then when you tell them more, hey, they, they believe as well. And they say, hey, let's do it together. So identify people to work together, the builders and contributors is very uh, crucial. And then the other challenge I think will be in terms of the task in the, in the middle stage, right? After it's up and running, the, the task coordination. Right, because in DAOs, Mipo, they most of the uh, the contributors they have their full time job or other stuff they they are working on. So maybe they can commit only like ten hours a week or twenty hours a week in developing these DAOs. So I like a corporate. You know, you can have this like full time schedule that assign the task and meet the deadline. Like there, in terms of coordination, it is slightly challenging than say working in in a the, the company. Then there's a right balance we have here. On one hand, we want to make sure that the deadlines of tasks are being met, the things are being delivered. But on the other hand, we don't want it to be like people just working for another company. You know what I'm saying? They're here because they want to enjoy where we and enjoy this community working with other people, you know, in the team. So there was a, you know, a balance as a leader of the DAO, we need to find out the sweet spot so that people they're willing to, you know, come on a Zoom call to discuss, you know, to host a Twitter space in the weekends. Like this is another quick, simple question. Why would they not choose not to go out with friends and family for dinners in the weekends? Instead, they jump on a Zoom call meeting with other DAO members and host a Twitter space, things like that. So that's uh, the, a lot of it, I don't think it's to do with the financial return. Of course, when it works out, it's beneficial for everyone. But in the early stage of a DAO, it's all about the commission the the culture of a DAO and the people that like they like working with, yeah. So this I think will be another part I want to share. Yeah, I think that's super interesting. Like you were saying, how it's like people's passion. It's not like a a job. I guess my question is like, how that balance is really hard to find, right? You want things to get done, but you want people to have fun, right? We're here to have fun. We're here to have a good time. The vibes are really important for a DAO. How do you incentivize people to contribute while you know having a good time? And also making sure things get done. And, you know, what is the structure of the DAO looks like to kind of make that possible? Right. So for most DAOs, their NFTs or the DAO code tokens represent the ownership of it. So we do have a scheme that incentivize the contributors. But most most of the of the biggest the bigger part of it is that the DAO tokens go. It's a little bit like Working for a startup, you get this stop option, right? So it's kind of like that. Are the tokens said, liquid? No, no, no. Because the reason for that is we look at it from a long-term perspective. There's going to take time to build a DAO. So at the beginning, it's very clear to everyone that, hey, it's going to be a locked for a certain period of time. And so that we can focus on building rather than checking on the price. If you are okay with it, Let's do it together. If you look for more liquidity, so maybe that's not the right place for you. So that's kind of transparency, being clear to everyone. 
on the same page is also quite important because these are the partners, the, the builders that you want to rely on. You can, they can trust me, I can trust them. Yeah, so I think DAO token representing the ownership of the community is an important part of it. And then the USDC or USDT, I think that's another part of it. We actually have up to a certain percentage of the contributors that you can choose to get compensated in USDC, right? And the reason for that is on one hand, there was the limit of the percentage. We don't want to like burn the cash like too much, you know, make sure we have enough runway for the project. But on the other hand, we want them to feel that, hey, we are serious about compensating the contributors. It's not just the issue of the tokens and then illiquid token, at least for, from a short-term perspective. Mm -hmm. So it's a right balance again. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think that's a really hard balance to find. And whenever you start paying people in real money, like USDC, it's really hard to get that right. How do you calculate how much a task is worth? Is it by how many hours you put in? Or if one task is worth more than another task, do they get paid more, right? Like, it's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. So it's really impressive you guys are able to, you know, slowly build and do it right and slowly progressively iterate to get to where you are to actually start paying people in USDC, which I think is very impressive for a DAO that started in April. Yeah. So I think it's, it's again, we are very lucky have a lot of people helping us from the early, before the launch and after the launch. So from contributors or people that are willing to yeah, help on other perspective. Yeah. So last question, <laughs> I, know I just keep firing away about the DAOs, but I, so like from what I've seen in DAOs and, you know, a lot of times like 20% of people do 80% of work, right? A lot of people join the DAOs, they want to do it for the social connection, which is awesome. Not everyone's busy, right? Everyone's working full-time job. Not everyone has time to contribute. I'm curious, like how, for your DAO, like how many percentage of the people become contributors? Is it like around 20%? And like, you know, yeah. How does that look like? We have about, uh, around 10 contributors at this point. So less than 10%, but I guess as the, the community grow, the number will actually, uh, the percentage is going to go down so far. I think in terms of contributors, we, we always want more, but it's not easy because especially, you know, we're in a bear market now, you know, when it's in the bull market, it's like, hey, you know, it's always going to be the next uh, NFT, you know, we are so in 2019 NFT, you know, we're going to get to the moon. <laughs> yeah, to the moon, generation well, yeah, things like that. But all of a sudden, the sentiment changed. So I think it's another challenge, I would say, and then it's something unavoidable because in the crypto space, we have been through multiple cycles and we will still go through multiple cycles, winter, winter uh, summer. So I think uh, on the other hand, so far, I think I've been very fortunate that our core contributors are still you know, willing to put on the time they committed to, to build it. And then as the, the leader of different communities or DAOs, I think it's very important for you to give confidence to them, all right? And then tell them, Bear market, it's gonna gonna leave, and the people don't be a crypto tourist. Crypto tourists are the one that come when the market is hot and then leave when it, it, it goes down. Usually, they don't make a lot of, but the, the the biggest return is the people that stay here in the crypto winter, building, investing, learning, like you guys making podcasts. You know, are the people that gonna the true heroes of the space? Yeah. Yeah, I like it. I like it. What you said, don't be a crypto 
tourists. And I think bear market is a really great time to build a DAO since DAO is very relatively low operation cost. And um, you will get less distracted by the market during the bear market. Because when I was building a DAO, the project apparently I was building, the price was not great, but um, but the market was just crazy. So it's really hard to keep people focused on the things that you're building because it's just because the market is so crazy and everyone wants to make money. So it's really like easy to get them distracted because of the market and people will go, you know, different directions. As a longer time that you're not profiting in the Dow, in the bull market, and people will starting to have a lot of questions. And it's so hard to motivate people. The market is crazy, but, you know, the Dow is not profiting. So I think the bear market is a great time to build, not just for Dow's, for all projects as well. So Jackie, what's your challenge of running a Dow? I just hibernate in the winter. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, a, a lot of similar similar challenges that uh, Karma was sharing. It's also the reason why I asked the questions because I was curious, like how you guys do it, and you know how we can, you know, how can I learn from you, how you're running your DAO, and any you know uh, advice, lessons, learnings to extract. But very similar uh, challenges. You know, it takes a, it actually takes a lot of time. Most people think doing a DAO is, hey, let's get some money, put some money together. Especially if you're doing like a purely investment DAO, it's a lot easier. You're just like, everyone's trying to make money, right? But if you're trying to build a community, like like 8DAO is a social DAO. When you're trying to build a community, you're trying to bring people together, you're trying to produce content, you're trying to build products. It's a ton of work. It's like a full-time job if you're really you know committed to it. Karma's like nodding his head really hard. <laughs> it's, it's a full-time job. It's more than a full-time it job, is, right? Yeah. And it's people. It's, it all comes down, back, comes down to people, right? Getting the right people and then kind of, I really like what you said, give them confidence, right? Have that strong leadership. Yeah, I want to take this opportunity to say thank you for Vera and Jackie to have this podcast and and let us to share about the things they're working in the Dow because like he said, there's a lot of challenge and we need a space, an opportunity to actually share that and, and say it to other people because there are not many people understand the challenge we are facing. Yeah, so I think with Dow's biggest challenge I have is everything is a trade-off. Every decision you make, you can work so hard, but you have to find the right trade-off, the right balance. Like, for example, like centralization versus decentralization, right? You have a core team that's working really hard, but now if you want the DAO to be more decentralized, it doesn't take forever to get anything done, right? But if you have a really centralized core team, now like things are getting done faster, but do the DAO's feel not included? Does it feel too centralized? Yeah, everything is a trade-off. So I think it's finding the right trade-off and like having a strong leader is good, but all at the same time, Having a too strong a leader is maybe bad, right? Because you want the DAO to be able to, everyone to, every leader to ha- kind of own their own area. Uh, members feel like they can empower to step up and, and contribute and knowing how to contribute. I think the hard part is like we were saying earlier, like maybe 10 to 20% of people are contributors. How do you get the rest of the people to who can contribute, have time to contribute, but maybe just don't know how or not inspired or a little bit lazy? How do you get them to jump in and find the right world for them that structure is very complex. A lot of human, yeah. So I think these are the biggest challenge. It's very, very fun, very rewarding, and I love it. <laughs> and and just a, something follow up on that. If there's one suggestion, would be probably we have to accept the fact that majority of people that are not gonna be contributors of oh, yeah, the DAO, totally D ninety or even ninety five percent. Okay, yeah. so we have to accept that first, and then. 
when you're able to find the core contributors who are really, you know, believe the DAO, the direction of DAO, passionate, make sure, you know, you share the, the results or the outcomes of, of the project, the DAO, with them together. Because unlike sort of in the startup, you had this founder like Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg in the past, the DAO, you know, are started by community members together. And every single one are, we have the, the same identity as community members. But for those who are willing to step up, you know, putting more time and energy, so they deserve to, to earn more. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I'm, I'm not sure if you guys heard about something called SubDAO. So while I was running a DAO, I experienced this, the fact that I have to accept that not everyone can be a leader and not everyone is self-motivated to get things down. They have to be pushed. They have to be asked every every week. It's like, what's the process? So I think with that, be able to find the leaders in each subject or component and having them to lead within this small component as individuals. I think that might be a better operation or a better experiment for people to do because apparently like fully decentralized the DAO will be really hard to run. But, you know, we want it to be differentiated from centralized corporate system. So I think sub-DAO is another concept and I may share another Twitter thread about it. And I thought it was very, very interesting to solve that current problems of DAO. I really enjoy this you know, opportunity to be able to have like this deep conversation of DAOs that we, we don't really have it with a lot of people. And luckily we have one here involving in DAO. And I don't know if you guys are involved in voting of the ApeCoin DAO. Yeah, so I'm a delegator of the ApeCoin DAO and Verily.eth. You're a top, yeah, delegator. delegator Not just one. Pretty sure well, I yeah, because <laughs> I scanned through, there's no woman in a DAO. I was like, okay, I, I have to be there just to show that there are women in the space and dele- delegate me to me. <laughs> but yeah, I did vote and I see the difficulties of ApeCoin DAO running because they have this whole process. And then when people vote, they have problems for executing that. We, we don't really follow up as people who voted this to see, okay, how will this be done, right? People have a proposal and then we pass it and then what? So a lot of the times as a DAO member, and that's the thing I'm facing, we got to vote and it's passed. And then who's doing it? It's a very unclear. When will this be done? It's very unclear. How will people monitor this whole process? What's the outcome and purpose? And you know, with different DAOs, like even people approach me because I vote against they approached me on Twitter saying, oh, what's the reason for that? How can we get away from this human involved on the voting as well? I think there's so many problems to be solved in the DAO. And it's quite challenging. And we need to find that operation standard or how to execute a running a DAO and including other legal issues. So I know a lot of projects that, that they're building it and I'm looking forward for the next DAO run and see how it goes. Yeah, you have a lot of votes and you absolutely have the rights to vote whatever that you believe, you know, it's the right decision. People trust you, give them your vote and then you have the rights to do it. Yeah, I wish I had that many. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Most of them are are my token. (laughs) I delegate it to myself. (laughs) Okay. That means you have a lot of tokens. I don't have a whole lot. That's better. It's not a whole lot, yeah. Yeah, so when Chili Dao, 
we'll see. Well, we have to Plan find token. the purpose. Yeah, and I need to okay. find how we're gonna, you know, actually run this everything and voting system. It's quite a burden for me that I'm like a little bit worried about like getting into the and running and operationing as a DAO because. Yeah, don't don't start easily. Uh, yeah. My suggestion. <laughs> right. Yeah, we have so much DAO conversation, and I feel really good about it because I haven't had this DAO conversation with people for a long time. Yeah, I, I feel like when you start a DAO, when incentives are aligned, it's amazing. It just right, and when yeah. the incentives are misaligned, just it's it's shit show. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so. I think ultimately we have to accept most of quite a lot of the DAOs that we see or are building at this moment, quite a number of them are going to fail or going to die. It's just like any startups. So, so nothing, nothing wrong with it. Don't think that's a huge problem. It's just like startups. A lot of startups, they, they fail, you know. So for DAO, it's the same. It's, I think it's even easier to fail for DAOs because we are still so early. There's no playbook, right? Yeah. And it's yeah. so easy to just start one. Just, oh, let's start a DAO. <laughs> <laughs> what are the other DAOs that you guys seem involved? So, other than the DAOs um, that you funded? Me and my friend started started this other DAO called Wang DAO. So, oh, wow. I did not know that Wang DAO. <laughs> you can only join your last name is Wang. And Wang is the biggest last name in the world. So we're going to be the biggest <laughs> DAO in the world. It's our mission. Oh, oh, oh my God. My favorite, not really my favorite anymore, but Jackson Wynn is, is Wynn. Could be also Wynn oh. Dow as well. That everyone knows I like Jackson Wynn. I'm, I'm joking. It's not like a real Dow. It's just a Telegram chat. Oh, how many people are there? I forget. <laughs> it's it's, it's kind of like a funny, funny thing. Not really. Not a serious it's, it's really funny. It's really funny. I'm also in this. Yeah, what about you guys? Yeah. Link style. So it's a golf style. I don't play mm. golf, but I think it, it's really cool. So I bought the NFT. And actually, they, they did a really good job with engaging the community. The people, they will call each other and go out for golfing. A, a lot of them are Web2 entrepreneurs. And a, a lot of them that has been in this golf like sports for a while. So I think that was a very interesting DAO. I didn't look into how they operationing it because I wasn't in the core member, but just being there for fun and witnessing how they run. And it's another, we were in the Ape DAO or the very earlier Ape Fund. <laughs> the first Ape Fund. Karma, are, are you there too? The, the, the Ape Capital? Well, no, I wish I, I was there, but I missed a chance to join last year. Oh, wow. So well, I'll talk more detail of this DAO of people putting like money to buy board apes like last May. I have to say that's probably the most successful investment DAO in last year or maybe in the NFT history, but it's been keeping really low key. So we'll have another episode with the GP of the DAO and we can talk a little bit more about the Ape DAO. So I know in Hong Kong, there's a lot of family offices that running investments and a lot of them get into Web3. So what's the environment in the family office? I know like Karma might have some relationship or experience. Yeah, I think starting from September, October last year, I got invited to different dinners, you know, or, or lunch by people from their running family office or, or private the wealth management business or people that are, are entrepreneurs, investors to 
the reason I, I got invited was they want to learn more about NFT. And they heard from other friends say, I'm a DGEN, NFT DGEN. <laughs> so I share a lot about them, you know, share my, my view about NFT, what we are doing right now, my view on NFT and DAO, something I love doing. So a lot of them I can see are, they see this very interesting concept happening and maybe some of their clients or some of these so more wealthy families sometimes it's their second generation or third generation have interests um so they want to learn more about it so that they can share with uh, their clients or their family and then board was one of the project that they first heard of nft because of christie auctions and also the celebrities changing their profile picture to nfts yeah so and then it's also a time that the stock market especially in hong kong wasn't do so well last year and then the crypto was still doing pretty good last year so some of them they make decision to allocate a small percentage of the uh, the capital into uh, crypto and nfts and yeah i saw it was happening i wouldn't say there was a huge amount of capital that got in uh from there but it's going to take time and it's a good sign that you know they're interested in learn more about it and sort of have this initial thought of allocating um certain percentage of their asset into this space Maybe some, a few interesting story, actually some of the, the entrepreneurs, they come to me, they say, and they say, I want to introduce you to my son. Okay. So we create a group. And then the reason is because like, it's not him, but his son that want to buy a boy. Okay. But, but he doesn't know he have, have no wallet, nothing at all. So, you know, I was happy to, to help them. And then they could be students still in university or a few of them still in high school. Right. So I think that's for me, I was so happy to see that because I see this new generation. It's not the Ferrari or Rolex they want, it's the boy eight they want. And they you know the, the younger generation represent the future. Right. So that's why I was really happy to see that and I was willing to to help them to go through this process, share my views on the market, on this project. And then the other story I want to share is I was in Singapore about three months ago. And then I, I met with uh, like a person that he's doing pretty well in his own field, doing a lot of investment, very successful. He's at about the age of 60. So we were in a dinner and then we exchanged contact and he saw my boy eight, all right? I said, hey, you got a dagger eight bear. And he's, remember he's 60 years old. And I said, wow, you know what a dagger eight is? Yeah, dagger. And then, yeah. And then he, he told me he has more than 20 BAYC himself and then and then he pulled me over in a corner asked me hey let's have a drink and a chat about it i want to listen to your view on this because i i joined recently in the past few months not from day one and then he told me that the reason why he ate in the bayc again is because of his son really believe in the project really like the nft he wanted like a sort of bridge the gap you know make it closer the relationship between him and the son because they can still share the same interest and conversation and and, and yeah so from a, both from an investment perspective he asked more questions but also he, he shared uh, his story about because he wants a closer relationship between him and the son so that's why he decided to go into byc and yeah these are really fascinating stories oh, wow i love the story i haven't heard any story of like how the family relationship grow because of the board ape, like having the same interest of talking with the next generation on their kid and their grandkids. And that's very interesting because I know some uh, family office 
the kids. They got into apes, and they have an overlap of same interest. Of they collect shoes, they collect other luxury goods. They're very specific, you know, brands. Like if they collect Nike, they don't collect Adidas. If they collect Louis Vuitton, and they don't really looking as much on other, you know, brands. We we see the trend of similar group of people. Jumping into the board ape, and we know a few friends that they're they are having a similar experience. I love the story. Yeah, so really bullish, you know, because this younger generation they want to collect、uh, board apes NFTs. I'm thinking, what's the next good question to ask? Were you at NFT? You were at NFT NYC, right? Yes, I, I was there. We had a、Did、picture together. Did you come to the Chile event? The the highlight of that event of the NFT NYC, we went to the、uh, the board chili lunch. <laughs> yes, right there. I didn't I didn't see you. He was there. He was there. Oh, we didn't get to meet. Yeah, that yeah. was also my highlight. Oh, you guys. <laughs> see. <laughs> so last episode, I brought one biased people, and this episode, I brought two to make it a great event. It was a really good event. Yeah, yeah, it was a great event, and I got to、uh, meet with other apoders from different parts of the world because I was stuck in Hong Kong in the past two and a half. It was my first time to jump on the plane to go somewhere else in the past, you know, two years. So it's a good opportunity to meet with other apoders. And actually, there was one stories I want to share. It didn't happen in the AFAS or in all those gatherings. It was like just one afternoon. Me and my friends, we were walking from Soho to for the A Fest because we had the big meal, and then we say we want to walk. It's a little bit far, but let's just walk. It was in the afternoon, and then we walk across one of the area, and then my friend with three of us, four of us, okay. So she said, "Hey, that that shop looked pretty interesting. Looks like something about NFTs going on because there was no sign anything." I said, "Okay, if you say so, then let's go check it out." Oh, and then when we got there, and then it's actually. NFT exhibition going on, okay. So there was、uh, something to do with the Vatica, the fun kind of NFT graphic design, a lot of great projects there, and then some. And so we spent about fifteen minutes there, and then they say,、oh, "Let's go." And on the way outside the the shop, there was this guy, this gentleman holding a cell phone, and asked, "Hey, did you guys collect your、uh, poem yet?" And then I say, "No." So he's very kind, trying to like promote this event. And then ask us to down to get the poem, and then so you work for this event, and then he said yes, and he said he's actually、uh, the founder of this platform behind this event, and then ask which platform, he said it's called No Origin, okay, so it's the same No No Origin is very、uh, it's a very famous、uh, NFT art platform, you know what? It's the same morning that the news came out, eBay bought No Origin. It's the same afternoon we got to meet the founder of No Origin, and then it was like super fascinating. We asked him, "Was the news legit? Was it real?" And they said yes. So we were super like surprised, and that's something you can only see in NFT NYC. Just like randomly run into people that are really successful founders of the NFT space. Yeah, and we took selfies together. <laughs> wow, that's very interesting. How do you like the Ape Fest? I went two nights. I know some of you go every single night. Yeah, it was great. I enjoyed the performance, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, and then the, also a, a chance to actually the, the 
Yuga Labs team. They're very kind, you know, just waiting for people to line up and take photos uh, to handshake with them. It just shows their personality is really down to earth. They're real and, and really care about the community. And I wish the lineup for the merch could be shorter. <laughs> but, you know, after getting those merch, the t-shirts, the, the caps, it was a great, uh, still a great experience. And some of my friends, they couldn't make it here. They asked me to just buy a little bit more for them. And, and I said, yes. Yeah. You know, the line could be shorter if you go there on the second or third day of the merch store. If you did on the day one, I heard it's very crowded. And the day I went there, it took me no time to get everything. So I think it's about the timing. Yeah. Okay. So that's a alpha. Thanks. Yeah, uh, it's alpha. <laughs> don't go there on the day one. Go there on the day two or three. <laughs> yeah, I, I I talked with Guy Oseri and Gordon and then Nicole. And I also talked with Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> wow, so I, see. Yeah, so I was talking with Guy Oseri and Gordon and Jimmy Fallon was like walked towards us and I was like, oh, I need to talk to Jimmy Fallon. What should I talk with him? I ran to him. I was like, Jimmy, thank you for following me on Twitter. And he's like, who are you on Twitter? I'm like, I'm very the ape. And then he's like, ape. And he gave me a high five. And then the next night I messaged him. I'm like, hey, Jimmy, I'm hosting a board chili party brunch. I hope you can make it. And then he replied to me the next day, very early morning. And he said, oh, I'm so sorry that I have like shows to record. So he couldn't make it. But, you know, just showing that the fact that he replied to me so fast and, and be able to having this conversation with me. And I was like, this is not going to happen without apes. Like if I don't, you know, get into this kind of relationship with the ape that I wouldn't have met him. And I, I did the same thing with Gordon. He replied right away. He's like, oh, I have a punk breakfast happening so if i can make the time i'll be there but the oxb one was at the board chili brunch and at the time that he was not doxxed and he had a conversation with one of the ape and then they were talking and then he was like you know what i'm actually oxb one my name is jason and the friend was like (laughs) yeah but yeah i know i know he will be there so that mega mutant ape that's iconic. I really like that ape. Oh, yeah? Oh. Yeah, that was very fun. And I, I still feel I'm recovering from the... Yeah, that, that, that's the thing, right? This story just shows us how strong the ape community is. And then as long as you're, you're ape older, it's bring everybody really close. No matter you're a celebrity or famous people or just like ordinary people. It's just We have only 5,000 something ape holders. Boy, eight, right? And then we have more of what mutant apes. And it's not a huge numbers, but so that's in, in that sense. So the concept of like the membership, you know, that's where we are. But and in the past, you have to like pay for like a club membership for a physical store. This one is more virtual, but in a way that it shows us we believe in something like together. I think that's more important than, than anything else. Yeah. Jackie, did you meet anyone interesting there? At Ape Fest or seeing Genron? So many people that I. <laughs> yes. I can't think of anyone on top of my head. But I think I had a lot of fun just hanging out with people that I haven't seen in a long time. Because, you mm. know, the people you see at every conference, it's like a reunion, reunion every time you see them again. So 
Yeah, and seeing seeing you, like I haven't seen you since the last conference. Yeah, yeah. Like last last conference, we were at the Chain Smokers Doodles event. Me oh and yeah. And it was like <laughs> 1 a.m. and Jackie was like, "Let's go to Brooklyn for another party." I'm like, "When is it? Is that three o'clock?" I'm like, "No, bye. I'm going home." <laughs> I'm like, you're yeah. still young, boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember when we were in New York. Vera was like busy with like going from one party to another party. So she has like I don't know, four or five gatherings or events. She needs to go every single day or even more. She's so busy. <laughs> well, I'm sure it's everyone. You know, we're trying to maximum the experience of NFT and YC, and. Even during the bear market, that you know, it's still so busy and and it's so live of this industry. And I think it's it's really fun, right? It's it's keeping the people engaged within the community, even though it's a bear market. People don't talk about price there as much. Maybe they do. <laughs> I wanted to buy Doodle during that time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good times. It all feel like a blur, a, a dream. Just the amount of things happening, the amount of people you meet, the amount of crazy events you see, just all in that one week. I just that week felt like two months. I know. Oh. Yeah. How does like Hong Kong apes that in gathering? Like, how often do you gather? How many people do you guys yearly be there? I think it depends on. There are still like different apes community or groups here in Hong Kong. So I would say it. It's all about, you know, for example, we do host gatherings here in Hong Kong. So uh, actually next Thursday, we're going to have one in one of our members bar in Central, which is like the drinking area, you know, or the financial center of Hong Kong. And yeah, so we're going to uh, have a gathering and that's just our DAO members and a lot of DAO members are ape holders. So sometimes it's not just about the ape holders to come together, but it's for any kind of like NFT, refugee events. When there was an event hosted by one of our members or, or by other communities, we always share the info and then we get to see each other in those events. Other than that, we often we talk on daily basis on, on online, on Discord or other chat groups. So, so yeah, so I think for a lot of people that I know here in Hong Kong, when they have one ape left, maybe they sold some or anything, they, they will not sell their last one. Because they know when they sell it, it's kind of they leave the community forever, and they don't want that to happen. Are they also building anything with their ape? You mean like like derivative or projects based on or, them or brand or? Yeah, I think there were in the past few months there are more people talking about it. From what I saw, I saw some mask the ape BYC mask products in the streets one day, and then physical ones. There was a beer, but it's not for eight. So it's a beer brand, handcraft, I believe, and then it's an NFT beer. So the design of it, it's a little bit like open sea. You have this trade, you know, layout. There is also something you can scratch, and then there is a, like a number or a QR code, and then scan that you can actually get a NFT uh, from it. Yeah. So so we do have some kind of new products trying trying you know happening it's interesting yeah very interesting yeah what's the age like for the nft or ape holders within like hong kong community i would say 
for example, the age, the age holder in our community, most of us are between the age of 30 to 40. Yeah, this age, age range. The thing is, that's how I think. When the price went up so high a lot to say over 100,000 US dollars or 200,000 US dollars, for people that at their mid-20s, that's a lot of money. It's kind of like really easy for them to just sell it or just sell a BYC and then replace it with the mutant and then they can keep the cash to do things in their real life because they are still in a very stage, early stage of their career and that's a lot of money for them. So usually they, they might make a decision to, to sell when the price go to a certain level. But for people that have like a more financial backup, they see it as a collectible. They want to keep them forever. So yeah, so it depends. It might be wrong, but just how I think it could be the reasons for some holders in terms of their age range. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen a few younger apes, like 18-year-old. They're focusing on the flipping on the ape and be able to accumulate the wealth at the very beginning, and which is totally making sense for them to do so. Yeah, I, I do see a lot of stories that people where they, they're the 20s or 18 years old, they, they ape in early in multiple projects, and then they hold multiple apes. But I think the case in Hong Kong or most other or some other Asian cities, that's not that common for people at the age of 18 and 20 really grind really hard flipping NFT last year because in some people's mindset, it's still risky and maybe some bubble. And the people at this age, they tend to a little bit more follow their path, less likely to take some risky move like this. So I don't see a lot of stories that we see here, uh, say in the US, a lot of the people at the 20 or 22, they already have multiple here. We don't see that a lot here in Hong Kong. Yeah. Very, very fun. Great to have you, Karma. So here, can you teach us how to say we're a family in Cantonese? One family. <laughs> Chili. Yeah. <laughs> Easy. Malo. Malo. Right. Malo to the moon. Malo LFG. Malo Ngodi Yagayan. Malo Ngodi Yagayan. Jackie, you have to say it right. Modi. <laughs> Modi means Malo. no. Okay. <laughs> I can't say it again. I'm terrible at this. Malo Ngodi Yagayan. Malo mode yagayan. Oh, that's really that's good. Right. Really good. <laughs> yeah, this is great. Thank you so much, Karma. I learned so much from you about your ape story, about ape DAO, how you started a DAO, all the challenges you went through. Learn about the Hong Kong community, the cool galleries you did in Hong Kong, telling people about NFTs to the public, our NFT crazy NFT NYC experience, the US Asia NFT you know, communities. Yeah, this is really great. Thank you so much for the, for the time. Thank you.
Thank you for having me. You guys doing great job connecting all the eight holders from different parts of the world. And yeah, I will make sure I will listen to this podcast and share with my friends. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, yeah. And for people who want to follow Karma and Eight Dao, his Twitter is Karma Pocket, like Karma in your pocket. And eight Dao is just eight, the number eight, and then D A O Eight Dao. Thank you guys. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. All right. Bye. 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 I'm on a yacht in the open sea, getting trippy with my dogs off DMT. Third eye blast off on my motherfucking jetpack. Iced out grill, solid gold, better flex that sheesh. We out here in these virtual streets. Running wild, all my dogs are unleashed. It's the board at Yacht Club, get with the shits and get washed. I'm a board, I say.